Terry Huggins Hart is a freelance writer by day, a Zoomer instructor, and enthused pole dancer. Her work can be found in Red Book, The Frisky, Dance Magazine, Huffington Post, Bridal Guide, and more. When she's not writing, dancing, or helping people find joy, Terry can be found volunteering for a cause dear to her heart, finding new ways to aggressively beat down debt, or playing with the Play-Doh she keeps in her purse. Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. You know, I'm always on the clock as a mom and as a freelance writer, and I found myself not really being as in tune to my freelance writing as I used to. So I'm actually just now re-identifying myself as a freelance writer again and getting my groove back, you know. And in the last few months, I feel like I'm finally back to a good place. I have my schedules. I have my clients back. I mean, it may not be where I was before, but I'm definitely getting there. And it feels good. It feels good to know that I can be a mother and have a career. This is fascinating because I'm not a mom, but I always love talking to new moms because this is like things that I'm planning in the future. So it's good to know ahead of time. So I I love I love this discussion. So for people who don't know, what is a freelancer and what's your average day as a freelancer like? So a freelancer is really somebody who writes for in terms of freelance writing. We, I don't really have a particular boss. Um, you can actually say that I have a lot of bosses if you, if you want to look at it in that way. I write for various magazines. In a sense, you could think of it as each one of the editors that I turn my paper or not my paper, my articles into as my boss, technically. But really, I'm contracted by them. So they send me an assignment. I sign my contract. We have, you know, an agreed upon due date. I send it back. Um, you know, then they send me edits and that's really the process. I can write for whoever I want. I cannot write for somebody, you know, that maybe doesn't match with my ideals or doesn't work with my schedule, etc. My typical day is interesting because as I mentioned, now I have a toddler in the mix. And to be quite honest to anybody who wants to work from home with a toddler, I say brace yourself because they demand so much attention. So what I do, I get up at five o'clock in the morning and that's when I start. um, Well, I like to start each morning with at least yoga or some type of meditation or I read. Then I go into sending all my emails. I like to send at least 10 pitches a day. Um, And I normally get those out of the way in the morning before my son wakes up. So from five to eight is my quiet time where I, you know, like I said, I do my yoga, my stretching. Sometimes I work on my pole dancing before I head into work. Then at 8 a.m., my son wakes up, and that's when I normally take care of him. I give him his breakfast. I do the mommy thing, and I try to get work done in between that. But if I don't, it's okay because then he goes down for his nap around noon. He naps from maybe 12 to 3 on a good day. So from 12 to 3, I go back to work. Um, That's when I do social media. That's when I try to work on my blog post. My son wakes up. Then my husband comes home from work. And then he can take over if I need to finish up some more work or some writing. So you, it sounds like you have it down to science. Like, you know exactly the schedule and you kind of like follow that. Is that, that the case? I have to agree. I mean, there are days that are really hard. Actually, a couple of days ago, my son was just not having it. He wasn't napping when he was supposed to. He woke up at six o'clock in the morning, which threw me off because that's my work time. So I'm like, crap, now he's up and I need to get my work done. 
Um, but for the most part, I do have um, a nice system. What I found is if I actually go with the flow and, you know, the natural, the natural progression of the day, I get more done. I think in the past I was getting very frustrated because I was forcing it. Like, for example, I was forcing to get work done when my son was up and trying to play, when really I just have to accept, you know what, this is the time that he plays. So we're going to play. Like, don't fight it. This is what it is. This is the schedule. This is his pattern. And you just got to work around it. So I wanted to go back a little bit and unpack the idea of pitches, that you send 10 pitches a day. So what is a pitch? So a pitch is um, a nice packaged email introducing yourself to an editor, assuming you have not written with that or worked with that editor before. You unpack an idea that you want to write about, but it's in paragraph form, an email. I like to set mine up as, you know, an opening paragraph of two sentences like hi my name is terry huggins sometimes i give suggestions of sources that i would interview i uh, maybe i'll throw in a fact there and then i'll close it with you know are you interested i think this would go really well i'm very detail oriented etc and you send it off um so you can think about it as a resume in a way but you have a specific project in mind that you would like to do for the company Right. And it sounds like you're very intentional. Like you kind of have to know who this publisher is, who this online publication is. How how important is being intentional and doing your research ahead of time? It is key. Very time consuming. But when you do the research, you're more likely to get the assignment because they don't want somebody who does not know the publication. They don't want somebody who doesn't know who their target audience is, who does not know their style, who doesn't know... Um, just the different things that their audience would like. You don't want to send the same general pitch to every magazine or, you know, every website, et cetera. They want to know that you know what they're about. So I never just blindly say, hey, how about I write about bridal dresses? That doesn't really help anybody out. <laughs> so you want to be intentional. There was one story. I was actually really excited about it because it was the first time that I actually had an article that I wrote that was on the cover of the magazine. And I felt so accomplished because it was after motherhood. And it's when I felt like I had my career back. But I sent this pitch. It was called Engaged and Unemployed. Nobody ever really imagines what's going to happen if they lose their job. Nobody pictures losing their job when they're again. They just see, oh, my God, I'm getting married. I'm going to buy a house. Life is going to be great. But let's be real. Life happens. And what happens if, you know, yourself or your fiance loses their job and you're now you know, stuck trying to figure out how you're going to pay for this wedding. So I pitched it exactly like that. I told them, like, did you know that I don't even remember the exact percentages, but I gave them an actual percentage, like this amount of people lose their job in the middle of um, wedding planning. This amount of people end up having to cancel because of maybe death in the family, maybe an illness. What do you do at that point? Do you cancel your wedding? Do you get money back? Do you reschedule it, etc.? And I actually gave examples. I had um, a source in mind, a wedding planner who was well-versed in the topic, gives suggestions. So when I gave the pitch, I broke it down. I said, I can see this being broken down into, one, reorganizing your budget, two, making your guests comfortable, three, getting creative, and four, finding a job um, while you're wedding planning. The editor loved it so much that they put it on the cover of Bridal Guide, and I was really excited. So, and I think Part of the reason that it worked was because I was very organized in my pitch. I was able to paint a picture for them with each section and who I was going to interview and have statistics. 
Right. So I'm thinking in my mind like a mini, a mini, mini outline just to give them a taste, but enough to make a decision if they want to go with your article or not. Exactly. Excellent. I, I really, really like that. So how much time do you spend actually in research mode? And when do you know, like, I've spent too much time to send off this pitch? Because I'm guessing there's a statistic, let's say, like, a portion of your pitches will get accepted, a portion will not. So how do you work through like your efficiency? And what's your process like? So it's funny you say that. It's something that I'm still trying to master, to be quite honest. Like, you never really want to spend an hour, um, you know, or more searching for these stats or too many things, because if the pitch isn't to get accepted, then that's just, you know, time that you wasted. Um, so what I normally do, I, I watch the news or sometimes statistics come out randomly and I'm like, oh, I can build a story out of that. For example, a pitch that I'm working on now has to deal with um, making friends as an adult. I was watching live with Kelly and Ryan, and they pointed out their statistic in which you need to spend 80 hours with a person before you can actually call them a friend, which I found very interesting. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting because let's be real. Once you're an adult and you have a career, you have a house to take care of, maybe you have a family, who has time to spend randomly 80 hours to call somebody a friend? That, That could take a year or more. So that's actually a statistic that I'm trying to run with and develop an idea to pitch. So sometimes just as I hear statistics, they jump out at me and I'm like, oh, that could be turned into a story. Then there are times when there are topics that I'm very passionate about that I am willing to put more research into. I mean, I guess the one would be the whole wedding thing. One of the main reasons why I thought of it was because when I was planning my wedding, my parents were assisting and paying for it, and my dad had lost his job in the middle of it. So because I knew what it felt like at that time, because one, you didn't want to be an ungrateful daughter. I'm like, well, I can't make my parents pay for this wedding knowing that my dad just lost his job. (laughs) Um, And two, like, all right, but I also don't want to delay getting married. So it was something that had hit home to me. So I had already had some personal experience with it in addition to the desire to look for the statistics. Sometimes I use Harrow. um, For those who are not familiar with it, it's Help a Reporter Out. It is a listserv in which people in the media submit requests for specific topics for potential inclusion in their um, their blog post, their magazine article, their TV spot, etc. Sometimes I just go to Harrow and I'm like, hey, I'm looking for somebody who can comment specifically on sheet masks used in African-American skin and can tell me exactly the efficacy of it, et cetera. And then I just get replies directly to my email and I can go through it like that. And that's a big time saver. Right. And also on the opposite side, I actually use Harrow in terms of like replying to these um, different sources who are looking for, you know, source of information. And it's actually a great way to get your name out there and to establish your credibility. So you can use it both in terms of as a writer trying to get sources, but also as someone who wants more publicity and just wants more exposure and to be known a little bit more in their field. So that's really that's a great, great tip. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's actually helped me a lot also on, on both sides, like you said. I remember um, before I had my son, I used Harrow quite a lot to like plug my blog. And then when it was my journalism, I used it to help people um, get recognition in whatever magazine I was writing for. So it's, it's definitely a great tool. Plus, I think it allows you to connect with people. There are people from Harrow that I still talk to. which is very interesting that people responded to my pitches and we check in on each other, which is great because 
being a freelance writer and working from home, sometimes it is very isolating and it is hard to meet people. So it's, it's a great tool for that as well. How important do you think that having an online presence is in terms of having your own blog or website or portfolio website? What do you think about that? If you want to be a journalist or freelance writer, I think it is very important because when I write these pitches, people actually ask you, who have you written for? And I can give them, you know, the link to my website. And I'm like, here, you can take a look here. I have links to this article, this article, et cetera. These are all people that I've written for. Your blog is the perfect example of what you can do. So if that's you and somebody asks, you know, can I see samples of your work? Then you could send them your blog. So I do think it's very important. It's still not as important as being able to make a presence in person and being able to talk on the phone. I think we are in a society that we forget that now. And one important tip that I've realized um, in terms of speaking on the phone and you know having that presence, when you're a freelance writer and you're pitching editors, they get hundreds of emails a day. So there is, there's a chance that they they may not see your email or they see it or they don't have time to respond. So what I do, because my time is important too, I don't have time to just sit here and wait for you to respond. I don't, I don't like, this is my livelihood. So instead of waiting for an email or a reply back, I actually look up the editor's phone number and I give them a phone call and I give them like a soft pitch on the phone. And I'll say, hey, this is Terry. Hope you're doing well. I'm actually calling in regards to a pitch that I sent to you a week or two ago. It was dealing with being engaged and unemployed. And in it, I broke down ways that brides can deal with it. When you get a chance, please let me know. And believe it or not, that is how I started getting more work because everybody relies on email these days. They forgot how to talk. I normally leave a voicemail. After I leave the voicemail, I send the email again. So it was bumped up to the top of their inbox. And that's when I get a response. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like top of mind, like you're top of mind again and again. And then, you you know, it's more likely that you're going to get a hit compared to just like if you just send it once. Exactly. So online presence is important. It's great in terms of, you know, establishing your credibility, you getting used to writing, but don't forget how to talk to people on the phone. Don't forget what it's like to go out in the real world and actually meet people, go to networking events. That's how you get work. Right. And I also wanted to add that I know a lot of people kind of feel funny about following up. And I think that there's no shame in sending a pitch and also following up. Like it's actually like you spent so much time trying to come up and craft an idea or let's say get a guest on your podcast or get a guest blog or whatever you did. It's important that you at least follow up. And how many times do you say someone should follow up? And then after that, they're like, okay, we're moving on from this. So I normally say twice before moving on. So I normally send the email once, let's say on a Monday or a Tuesday. I try not to email people too much on Friday or Monday because I feel like Friday people have checked out already. And Monday, they're probably too busy catching up on all their other emails and making up for lost time from the week before. So normally I email people on Tuesday, maybe five days later or the following week, I send a follow-up email. And then if I don't hear anything, two days after that is when I do research, find their phone number and give them a phone call. Mm -hmm. So the phone call is the last step? Or you said the phone call Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is the last step. And then after I leave the voicemail, because like I said, nobody really answers their phone anymore. Then I email it again to bump it up. 
mm-hmm. in their inbox and then I leave it alone. Right. Terry, I love that you have a system and you kind of just know know your flow. So with all with all of this, like you're sending a lot of pitches out. Do you have like a template that you use, a spreadsheet? Like how are you keeping yourself organized? I do have an Excel spreadsheet. In that spreadsheet, I have the date that I'm sending it out. I put down the email address, the name of the person, the publication I'm sending it to, and the subject of the pitch. I also have a column of my follow-up date and the response that I got to the follow-up, or if I didn't get a response at all. So that's how I organize it. I will say, and depending on who you talk to, you'll get you know, varying responses. I do send sometimes the same pitch to multiple magazines, but I tailor it to, to whatever outlet it is. So for example, right now I'm trying to get a story published talking about pregnancy loss in same-sex couples, because it's something that people don't really hear about much. So I've pitched this to a couple, a couple outlets just last week. I pitched one to Essence and, you know, I framed it in terms of, you know, black couples, black women, who are having trouble conceiving or, you know, carrying a pregnancy to full term. And I had a statistic about this is the rate of couples who have or same sex couples who can. And then I also pitched it to like Marie Claire. And, you know, you, you would tailor it to people in their age demographic. And the reason why I send multiple out at the same time is because, like I said, sometimes it's rare to get a response from an editor. I don't have time to sit here and sit on one pitch hoping that they get to it because they may not get to it. So I cast my net wide to like my five main places that I can see it working with or working for. And I tailor it just because time is of essence. And when you craft that much or when you take that much time crafting that pitch, you know, you don't want to just sit on somebody's desk forever when you know it could possibly work for a bunch of other places. So I never really you know, I don't send it to just one place. I will say that even doing that in freelancing for, I mean, when did I graduate college? 2010, 2009. So I've been freelancing for almost 10 years and all my years of doing this and pitching to multiple outlets, the same pitch, I have yet to have two editors come back and have them both say that they like the same idea. I have yet to have that happen. Very interesting. So what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What it means for me is that I think I'm doing the right thing, to be quite honest. Most people, they'll tell you don't pitch to multiple outlets. But I think the people who give that advice are the people who aren't freelance writers, whose livelihood does not depend on these articles getting seen and paid for. So it's sort of unrealistic. Like, think about it in terms of you applying for jobs out of college. You're never just going to send one resume to, you know, Ernst & Young and just wait on it. You can't because you may not get hired by Ernst and Young. You're going to send that same resume to a bunch of other places. That makes a lot of sense. I love I love that. And I also wanted to say that a lot of times, like as a freelance writer, you can be pitching to other outlets. But as a freelance writer or blogger, you can also be making an income by getting pitched to. You know, a lot of times you might get a a client that wants you to write about them. And that's considered a sponsor post. So there's multiple ways that you can make an income. Exactly. Exactly. I will say I don't really do many sponsored posts. I do use affiliate links um, to make money for my blog. I actually had this moral dilemma and I'm still sort of grappling with it. I went to school for journalism. So I consider myself a freelance journalist who blogs and I love blogging. 
And as a journalist, your job is to be unbiased. That that's what you know you're taught to do. So for me to use sponsored content on my blog, even though it's completely illegal, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't feel it just doesn't sit right with me because on the one hand, I can make money for it. But I also have to think about the fact like, let's say I get I do a sponsored blog post um, for, you know, whatever company. That means that because they paid me, if I write for a magazine and that person could be a perfect for, source for, I can't use them because morally, you know, I know that they just paid me. Mm-hmm. Do some people do it? Yes. But I can't sleep well at night <laughs> doing that. So even like I do copywriting for some clients and I even tell them like, okay, I know you guys know that I'm a journalist and that I write for national publications. I need you to be aware that if you are paying me to do your copywriting, I can't really use you in a source for a magazine. I just want you to be aware of that. That it could sway your opinion. It could, you know, it could sway a lot of things. And journalism is about being factual and being unbiased. So it's something that I struggle with. Like, you know, so I was, I went to the blogger in August and, you know, I was telling people, I'm like, you know, I don't think I could ever do a sponsored post. Like I, like all these brands were there. They wanted to collaborate in terms of like my blog and, which was great. But just because I consider myself a journalist first and foremost, it's just not something that sits right with me. I always wondered, like, what's the difference between freelance writing, journalism, blogging? Can you kind of like give us a little spiel on the difference of those three? I consider myself a freelance journalist because I actually do reporting. I do a lot of interviewing. I do fact checking. I make sure that everything that I write is unbiased and, you know, to the point. So you get the clear picture without having other minds or other thoughts or opinions tainted. On the other end, I do freelance write. Like I've written personal essays, which sort of have a bit, you know, some opinion-based things to it. So I think that may be sort of a a defining line. Like the journalism is where you're actually being more fact-based. You are aware that your words can sway. I actually gave my friend who was trying to dip her toes into freelance writing this example. If you read an article like, like New York Times, Cosmopolitan, anything, and if the writer quotes their source, you'll notice that they never say, you know, Stephanie exclaimed or Stephanie yelled. They will never say that because that can taint your mind. Like, basically inject your opinion into it. Instead, the article is going to say Stephanie said, and maybe Stephanie really did yell, but her yelling is your interpretation. So that's something that you can't really do in journalism because it becomes biased in a way, because once you say that Stephanie yelled or Stephanie was excited, that's how you interpret it. It doesn't mean she was actually excited. You saw her as excited. And once you type that she was excited, then that can influence your reader. And it's like those little words that people don't realize, but it makes a big difference. This is very interesting and something that I have never thought about before. So, but it's interesting because I've, I've always thought like, what is journalism like? So my question for you is, if someone didn't go to school for journalism, how can they acquire more journalistic skills? Honestly, just by writing and since becoming a freelance journalist, not a single person has ever asked if I have written or if I have my degree. And mind you, I do. I have written for so many national publications and not a single one has asked me, do you have your bachelor's degree? Not one. But what they do ask me, 
Who have you written for? What experience do you have? So that alone, like, I, I, I honestly feel like a degree is not necessary in terms of journalism. It's, it's just not necessary. Really, to be, to be a good journalist, you just have to practice. Practice being unbiased in what you write. Read other articles. Um, there are several books that actually helped me start um, my journalism career. One was Six Figure Freelancing, written by Kelly James Enger. Kelly James Enger is a freelance journalist, freelance writer, who makes six figures. And she was a lawyer. She had no journalism background. This girl was a lawyer, quit her job, and became a journalist and writer and makes six figures. The same goes for the blog Make a Living Writing. Carol Tice, a six-figure journalist. She does copywriting for people. She writes for national magazines. She never went to college, but yet she makes six figures as a freelancer. Honestly, I don't think a degree in journalism is necessary. It can help, but honestly, nobody has asked me as a freelancer. Now, maybe if I wanted to work on staff as a journalist, maybe they'd ask for my degree. I don't know because I've never worked on staff at a magazine. I've only freelanced. But as a freelancer, nobody's ever asked me. Not a single one. Practice writing articles unbiased. Even if you don't think anybody will ever see it, you can do that work on your own. Pick a topic that you're interested in, look for the sources, and write it down. Um, that's how you become a journalist. Read the books. Go to networking events, meet people who do what you do or have experience in it, read blogs, et cetera, practice doing pitches. That's how you become a, a freelancer. You don't need to do, go to college for it. Right. And all of those resources that Terry mentioned will be in the show notes. Now, another thing that I wanted to ask you is let's talk about money. What on average or how, on average, are freelancers determining what their rates are per article? It depends on who you're writing for, what you're writing about, and your experience. There are some magazines that I write for, and they will pay you $2 a word. So if I wrote a 1,000-word article, I just got paid $2,000. Then there are some places that will pay you maybe like $50. Um, and I'm not necessarily opposed to it because you also have to think about how much time it takes you to write it. So if I'm getting paid $50 to write about, you know, red lipstick, then I can write that in an hour. And I'm like, all right, well, I just made $50 an hour. So I like to think about it in terms of how much time will it take me to do it and divide the hours by the payments. That way, you know, if it's worth your time or not. But something that people have to keep in mind is that just because it's shorter doesn't mean that it's easier to write. For example, this is something that I don't do, but it's an example. Like if you are writing about how a computer works in 500 words, now that sounds great. I'm like, oh man, it's only 500 words that short. But think about it. Do you know how hard it's going to be to explain how a computer works in only 500 words? That's going to take a long time for you editing, cutting it down to be 500 words. That can take hours and weeks. So just because it's shorter in length doesn't mean it's easier to write. And you want to think about that in terms of getting paid for it, because people can be like, oh, I'll pay you $100 for it because it's only 500 words. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm saying, um, no, it's 500 words on a complex topic. <laughs> so it's going to take me a very long time to write. If at all possible, you never want to sell all rights ever. That's, I mean, 
because once you sell all rights, that's it. You don't owe the article anymore. You can't send it to anywhere else. You can't publish it on your website unless it's linked back or credited to them. That's it. So you never want to sell all rights if you can handle it or if you have any control over it. So it sounds like in terms of pay, it really varies. So and if there is, let's say, a discrepancy in what you're expecting, don't be afraid to speak up and see what can be done. Exactly. The same way that you're going to go to a job interview and if they offer you a salary that you are not comfortable with is the same way you can do it in freelance journalism. You can do that. You know, of course, you're going to be respectful. You're going to back up the reason why you think you deserve more, but you have every right to ask for more money. You do have to be prepared for your answer if they're not able to give you more money or, you know, adjust. You have to then ask yourself, okay, is this still worth it for me? Sometimes if they're going to pay you less amount of money, but you know that your name is going to be attached to something that is well-known, well-recognized, it's going to boost your credibility, it may be worth it to work for a lower rate because you know it helps your professionalism. So what are some of the tips you would share to someone who wants to dabble in freelance writing, particularly someone who has a full-time job and wants to start freelance writing? If you have a full-time job and you want to start freelance writing, the first tip I would give you is the corniest one, but I will say don't doubt yourself. One, get all the doubt out of your mind. Is it a career that is extremely difficult to break into? Hell yes, no doubt about it. But it's worth it, in my opinion. If it's something that you really love, it's worth it. So do not doubt yourself. I always say, you know more than you think you do. So that's step number one. Number two, I say get experience writing. And sometimes that means start a blog. Like that way, when these people ask you for your writing samples, you can say, this is my blog. This is what I've written about. And step number three, just start pitching. Come up with some great ideas. Do a little bit of research and pitch. What I do to get contact information, because let's be honest, their email addresses are not readily available. (laughs) Just waiting for you to send them an email. You got to do a little digging. So you get their contact information. So let's say Redwick Magazine. First of all, you get the magazine and you look at the masthead that's going to tell you all the editors in the publication that's where you want to look for maybe the assistant editor or the executive editor or managing editor that's who you want to pitch to the editor-in-chief they don't normally deal with pitches so don't even bother don't waste your time sending to an editor-in-chief so once you find like the executive editor the managing editor something of that nature then you know who you're sending your pitch to secondly you want to figure out their email format. Again, something that is not readily available. What you do then is normally scroll all the way down to the bottom of the web page and you click on normally media kit or um, advertising, etc. You go in there, you click on it. That's where they're going to show you how you contact them if you want to, uh, let's say, publish an ad in the magazine. That, they're going to have a specific email address and it'll have a person's name. But it will also have the email format. So once you have the email format from the advertising, that's when you go back to the masthead, find the managing editor, you know, their first and last name, and you plug that name into the email format that you just found from the advertisement. Let's say like like any full-time job. Normally the email format is normally like first name dot last name at yourjob.com or first initial last name at yourjob.com or last name at yourjob.com. Once you get that email format, then you know basically the email address for every single person at that magazine. That is a hell of a hack. That's wonderful. <laughs> that is some serious gold. Those are my tips. Yeah, believe in yourself, start a blog, start pitching, get the contact information, 
And of course, never give up. I say that because consistency is the key. There's a reason why I send 10 pitches a day. And it is a lot, a lot of work, a lot of time, but it's worth it. I remember when I first wrote my, uh, my very first article for Red Book, this was before I was pregnant, I had pitched them for an entire year, one year. And, and after that one year has passed, that's when they assigned me my first article. Was it frustrating to not get a response? Was it frustrating for them to say, sorry, this isn't right for us? Of course it was, but it was so worth it when I finally got that first article. So do not give up. Consistency and patience is key. Because I feel like sometimes you talk to people and you're like, oh man, I've been pitching, you know, this article, this magazine for a month. It feels like it's taking forever. And I'm like, a month? Like, no, that's no time at all. You got to keep working at it. Like, no, talk to me when you've done it for six months, for a year, then get back to me. Consistency is key and patience. It's like having that tenacity. And also, I, I think like this is your livelihood, like you said multiple times, like this is your livelihood. You got to eat, got to take care of your family. So what are you going to do? You're going to just keep going, being persistent. So I love that. Exactly. Like, yeah, this this is how I feed my son. So <laughs> girls got to eat. So this, <laughs> awesome. 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 I love this. I learned so much. And this was great to just deep dive with uh, a freelancer because a freelance writer and journalist, because I think there's a lot of people who actually want to get started, but they just don't know how. So it was great, like picking your brain. Yeah, no problem. Terry, this was so much fun. I learned so much and I hope everyone in the audience did as well. What is the best way to connect with you? You can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm Terrific Words on both. Or feel free to email me. I love helping people who want to be freelance writers. I routinely help people with their pitches, etc. Because I, I just love talking to people. And I think it's such an amazing career to have. So whenever I can help, I do. So even if you want to email me, my email is terry at writingbyterry.com. <laughs> 